listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Louise Marburg about her new collection of short stories titled, You Have Reached Your Destination. Louise has written other award-winning collections of stories, and her writings have appeared in such journals as Narrative, Plowshares, Story Magazine, and many others. Her new book, the one we'll be talking about today, was the winner of the 2021 Eastover Fiction Prize. Welcome to the show, Louise. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the stories in the book and, and about writing in particular. There are 12 stories okay. here. Uh, you have written other short stories. How do you know when a short story is finished? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. A lot of people have trouble finishing their stories. I, or they'll go on and on. I am always amazed when a story is finished. I think I have much more to write, and suddenly I'll realize that that line that I just wrote is the final line. And I don't know. It's like magic. Almost. I have no idea why I'm able to do that. But um, it's, it is inevitable that I think, oh, yeah, I've got pages to go, and then I don't. So it's just, it's, it's just a feeling that you get. Just a feeling, yeah. Okay, all right. Now, you wrote most of these stories, if I, if I read correctly, during the first year of the pandemic. Um, I did. And I, I couldn't help but wondering, in writing the stories and developing the characters, did this kind of give you a chance to live vicariously through them during the uh, pandemic? I'll tell you what the pandemic did. Um, is It made me so much more productive than usual, and that is because I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I think like most people, um, and I just, writing really takes me away like nothing else. Like you're only thinking, or I am only thinking about what's on the page, this character, um, and it just, it's an intensity that uh, can't, can't, I can't think of anything else, reading or any other thing, watching TV, that really takes me away like writing. So I think that I just was dying to not think about what was going on in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that sort of continues because the world is not so great. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm anyway, with, um, I'm, I'm with but, you. Uh, yeah, so I've been quite productive. Uh, strangely, during that time, I was unable to read, which it takes, it's a completely different kind of concentration yeah, and yeah. focus. All right, so when, yeah. when you write, okay, uh, do mm-hmm. you outline your stories before you start, or do you think of a character and just start writing? How, sh- how does your process work? I just start writing, and it might be that I think of a character or I've, I've overheard a snippet of a conversation that I, I'm interested in, in uh, examining um, or a visual. It, it really depends. I would say mostly I, can, I get a character in mind, but I just start writing and see what's going to happen. And it's, it's definitely flying without a net. But um, it works for me. If I know too much, uh, I often say if I drive a story, I drive it into the ground. I just don't <laughs> like to know too much. Right. You know, recently I had someone on the show who had written some short stories, and they said something I had not. It came up with an analogy I hadn't thought of. I want to ask you how you decide which order to put the 12 stories in. And this <laughs> right, this writer said, she happened to also be a musician, and said uh, it's like making an album. You know, I decide what I want to build to a crescendo or whatever. How do you go about doing that? Well, this is sort of embarrassing, but I don't. I give it to somebody else. Okay. To do it. (laughs) Because I can't, I really can't see what I've done as clearly as somebody else can. So 
I had, say, for instance, um, No Diving Allowed, which is my last book. I gave the, the stories to my cousin, who's a theater director, to um, put together, and he did a great job. And then You Have Reached Your Destination, I gave to a pretty well-known author named Jill McCorkle, who's uh-huh. a great friend and has been very generous to me, and she put them together. So, oh. um, yeah, I just don't have anything to do with it. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, I, I think listeners always enjoy hearing writing styles. Could I get you perhaps to read a short excerpt uh, from one of the short stories? And, and if you need to lay a predicate or tell us a little background about that part of it, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I think I'll read from the first story. It's called Alouette, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory, so okay. I'll begin. Alouette. When Penelope's fertility doctor mentioned her age twice in the same sentence, certainly it's not impossible for a 37-year-old to conceive for the first time, though 37 is on the downslope of fertility. She shook her head and gave him the same pitying look she gave her students when they were being stupid. I'm 32, she said. The doctor opened the manila folder that held the form she filled out in the waiting room. It says 37 here, he said. It does? She leaned forward and looked. Oh, no. That's meant to be a two, not a seven. My handwriting is a mess. She took a pen from her purse and added a tail to the seven. There, she said, 32. Her birth date was also written on the form, but the doctors didn't notice that. He closed the folder and smiled. She'd become a different person in his eyes, a patient with a promising outcome. He was pale and chubby and very young. His voice was high and oddly compressed, as if he'd taken a hit off a helium balloon. But judging by the layers of baby pictures and thank you cards pinned on a corkboard in the waiting room, he knew what he was doing. A fake orchid sat on his fake wood desk, and framed pictures of his three children were lined up on his shelf in a glass and chrome bookcase behind him. Why do you put your photos where you can't see them, she said. He swiveled his chair. I can if I turn around. Have you considered the effect it has on your patients being forced to look at the examples of your obviously robust fertility when it's quite possible they might not be fertile themselves? A little frown creased his forehead. No, I haven't. Well, you should. She sniffed and took a tissue from a box on his desk. Don't worry, I'm not going to cry. I have allergies this time of the year. She blew her nose. So, she said brightly, what's next? Russ showed up while she was having her blood drawn. He looked important in his dark business suit. I was held up at work, he said, inching around the format counter. Did they catch the guy, Penelope said? What guy? The guy who held you up. The nurse drawing her blood chuckled. Good one. Russ, this is Rhoda, Penelope said. She says I have to give her permission to test my blood for HIV. Should I? You just said you have to. So yes, Russ said. But what if I have it? You don't have it. I might. You never know. She gave Rhoda a wide-eyed look. You're quite the card, Rhoda said. How long have you two been married? Long, Penelope said. We're well past the incubation period unless my husband has something to tell me. She rolled down her sleeve and slid off the table. There was no way she had HIV, yet she was capable of convincing herself of anything. A few years ago, she was sure she saw President Obama coming out of Lahore, a Pakistani restaurant down the street from her apartment. She swore to Rush that she'd seen the president, insisted she had to her friends until finally she was forced to accept the fact that the president of the United States wouldn't go anywhere alone, never mind to Lahore, which wasn't even that good. They left the doctor's office and went to lunch at a place by Central Park. The trees in the park were tossing. The sky was an unblemished blue. The perfection of the day was a good omen. She fiddled with the carnelian bead she'd worn a silver chain around her neck. 
She bought the bead at a new age shop in the village because carnelians promoted fertility. Just think, this time next year we could be parents. Don't count your chickens, Russ said. I'm not. They're also testing my blood for chlamydia. I won't be able to have a baby if I've had chlamydia. It wrecks your reproductive system. And by the way, if anyone asks, I'm 32. Why are you 32? Can I pass for 32? Why not? You're not going to start obsessing about chlamydia, I hope. You can have chlamydia and not even know it. Hepatitis C is called the silent killer. They're testing my blood for that, too. She gave Ross the same goggled-eyed look she'd given Rhoda. I could be dying right now. He mimicked her expression, teasing her. We're all dying right now. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> um, I, look, I couldn't help but notice that in reading the stories in the book, most of the relationships, romantic or familiar, are problematic. Do you mm. find that uh, uh, flawed characters or flawed relationships are more interesting than perfect ones? To write, oh, to write about? Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely they are. Um, and and I often have been told, oh, your characters are unsympathetic or they're terrible or whatever. Why is that? And just because I do think it's more interesting and really more true to life. Everybody's flawed and relationships are flawed and families are weird. And, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's certainly interesting for me to write about. Well, you know, universal themes work best. And I think you're right. And, and they work really well in this collection. All right. In the story, the one that scares, um, the one that scares you, excuse me, Lisa is a strange. Scares you most, yeah. Yeah, it scares you the most. Lisa is estranged from her mother for some many years, uh, but her mother mm-hmm. has a stroke and now wants to speak with her, wants to see her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we go below the veneer of that surface, I, it seemed to me to be a story about forgiveness and the cost of forgiveness, or am I reading too much into that? No, it is. I think um, uh, it is about forgiveness and it's about the struggle to forgive, Uh, you know, past complaints and hurts um, still very much part of the present um, and having to overcome that. Yeah. And the complications of mother daughter relationships, right? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In another one of the stories, uh, the weather of menopause. Um, Mm -hmm. Katrina is going through menopause, and you write for her that, quote, sex was a country from which she'd recently emigrated with no foreseeable plan to return, (laughs) close quote. You know, I couldn't help thinking about Simone de Beauvoir's uh, calling that the third sex. Why so glum about that? (laughs) Actually, I thought that was a hilarious line. It is a funny line. It is my favorite line in the story. Yeah, Um, it is. I just thought I was so, so smart and funny thinking that up. Um, It's, uh, you know, that story is really not about, you know, menopause per se. It's about about aging and and realizing that, you know, your potential is, is never, you know, whatever potential you thought you had, whatever potential you do have is not going to be realized. And yeah, that's glum. That's a very gloomy idea, but I think it's common. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we read all these stories nowadays about older folks, and I'm in that older folks category, <laughs> ha- having these wonderful sex lives. So, uh, you know, I had a laugh when I read it. It's, it's such a great sentence, but it also conveys <laughs> uh, lots of metaphors on a lot of levels. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So another theme that reoccurs in the stories uh, is about death um, in mm-hmm. several stories, like even Stephen, the one that scares you, you know, you've reached your destination. A character is, is dying. 
Uh, is mm-hmm. this? I always ask folks about autobiographical stuff, but was is this? Some, you think something that was on your mind because of the pandemic, or yeah, okay, sure, I think so. I mean, often, honestly, I, I wish I could say I knew what I was doing, but I don't. And uh, I will find that I write a bunch of stories, and they all have the same uh, theme. And voila, a collection is born. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last collection, every story had a swimming pool in it. That pathway through the collection became on purpose, but I had written a number of stories, oddly, that had swimming pools in them. And uh, so that became a metaphor, and that's not the collection we're talking about. But, yeah, I think um, death was on my mind a, a lot, all the time. I, was, I, always, I really believed that I was going to get COVID and die from it. I did get COVID, but I didn't die from it. Obviously, yeah. here I am. But well, um, well, when yeah. when you come up with a theme, that's interesting. Do you when you realize that you have the theme, like the swimming pool, okay, or death mm-hmm. here? Yeah. Do you try to stop that, or do you, for lack of a better metaphor, jump right in? Well, <laughs> in that case, I jumped right in, and I can't tell you how how the blurbs on the back of the book are all. Of, they're all swimming pool related. They're very funny, but I right. wish I had it to, to read. But uh, in this case, this book, I just knew that I was writing about women. Mm-hmm. And um, that was that was the, the thing that was on purpose. Uh, otherwise, nothing was really on purpose until I realized it. And then I went, oh, that was on purpose, I guess. Well, you know, even though they have, and we're going to talk about some of the other themes, because I think there are some others, an overarching theme seems to be change, whether expected or unexpected, that we have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so one of the other things that I couldn't help but notice is that men seem to mistreat their girlfriends in these stories. (laughs) (laughs) In Love is Not Enough, Robin mistreats Katie, and the story June, which I really enjoyed, uh, Rebecca, her young neighbor, is uh-huh. being abused yeah. by her husband, and June confides in her daughter that years ago she was abused by her yeah. first husband, something the daughter yeah. didn't know. So wh- mm-hmm. what are you trying to tell us about relationships? Well, I, well, you know, I, I don't think it's a big surprise to anyone that it's pretty common um, that men abuse women, their, their girlfriends or wives or whatever. And during the pandemic, it was a much worse problem because everybody was stuck at home with each other and not in terribly good moods anyway. So that, that was something I was thinking about. I, I really had so much, um, I felt so badly for people who were stuck at home and, and didn't, and weren't happy about it. I was, I was in a good space and I, my husband and I get along great. But um, make sure you said that. So he can. <laughs> yeah, really, really fast. We get along great. No, we really do. So yeah. that's that is uh, was great. But um, I, so I don't think it's always not even slightly always true. Um, but I, I have seen a lot. I'm always shocked by men being not very nice to their wives or girlfriends, yeah. and it's, it's so common. But well, anyway, you know the other thing that, that struck uh, yeah. me about mm-hmm. June, which again a story I really like. Is oh, is the other issue of, of you're an older folk, older person, mm-hmm. and you know do people believe what you say? You know, mm-hmm. are are you just mm-hmm. getting old and getting kind of senile and dementia? And yeah, uh, it it yeah. was another theme that I that at least at my age I kind of latched onto and thought about, um, mm-hmm. and just done really well. Okay, in the mm-hmm. story dance, 
uh, Dance Rockette, excuse me. Uh-huh. Both yeah. Eve and her husband, Rick, are dealing with the passage of time. Here we are again talking about folks getting older yeah. and where they yeah. now find themselves. Okay, a, a really great universal theme. Her beauty has faded yeah. a bit. And he was mm-hmm. like the cool guy in high school, but eh, not so much anymore. And in it, right. I, I believe Rick says, quote, don't most people imagine something better for themselves than mm-hmm. what they end up with, close quote. So mm-hmm. as I read it, um, it, this is a story about, again, a universal theme about regret or coming to terms with where one has ended up, you know, on this path. Yeah. Is that a yeah. fair statement? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what this story is about. It's about, you know, again, regret and um you know, in in this case, in this case, it's I find that I mean I, I obviously I wrote it, but I still find it really sad. I found that couple to be really sad, and she, he said that was the best time of my life, high school. And she said, what about this time? What about you know being married to me and having our kids? What, wasn't this a good time? And it clearly in his mind, no, it wasn't the best time of his life, which I thought was very. Sad, but I think true for a lot of people. They say, "Oh, high school was the best, you know the best time of my life." You know. Um, yeah. No, uh, I, th- I thank I, God I, it wasn't for me. I, I do, and and I think you characterize him perfectly because he is kind of the high school cool guy, and I think most people can relate to the arc of that person's life. And she was the very attractive woman. I mean, I know when I read it, one of my thoughts was, "Okay, I think I knew these people in high school," you know, and they mm-hmm. dated in high school, and. And in high school, everybody thought, this is, what a great couple. You know, she's the head cheerleader. He's the quarterback. And now, where are they? <clears throat> yeah. Um, where indeed. So, yeah. So yeah. I, do, I do think that, um, again, it's one of those universal themes that people, um, you know, that people can latch on to. Well, let me ask yeah. you this. So now writers have said to me over the years that if they create good characters— the characters help write the story for him. In fact, yeah. one time I had a, uh, a, a an author in, in the studio, and he said, you know, I'll start to write a sentence for one of my characters, and they'll say, no, I, I'm not going to say that. And, you know, he <laughs> yeah. says, okay, all right, I got to re- – it sounds kind of, you know, psychotic, but but yeah. I, I know from talking to folks that that's not an uncommon thing, that you the it's character really drives, drives yeah. the story. Is that true for you too? Oh, it's so true for me, and I will look back on uh, – a you know, some, some dialogue and think, well, wow, that's really good. I can't, how, where did that come from? Um, you know, they just, not only do they say things that are surprising, they do things that are surprising. And um, that's, for me, the magic of that. And I know it's, for, for someone who doesn't write it, it probably sounds like a bunch of bull, but uh, it's true. It's That is the magic of writing. And uh, if, if you're like me and you don't, you know, outline everything. And, and the pleasure of it to see your characters do whatever and to follow them. Yeah. Is it possible for me to get you to read another excerpt um, from the book? Sure. Uh, and again, if you need to, uh, you know, if you need to lay a predicate or something like that, that would be great. Well, let me choose because, uh, okay. Even Stephen. Okay. They what? say I'm dying, my stepmother said. Her voice on the phone was gravelly from 40-plus years of smoking. Dying for what was my first thought, because she was always dying for something, usually a cocktail or a cigarette. Who says you're dying, Bree? My team of doctors at Sloan Kettering, she said. Apparently I have cancer, riddled with it, in fact. They tell me I'll be dead in a few weeks. 
what? No. How long has this been going on? Age is probably silently spreading. I've been feeling sort of crappy, so I went to my doctor last week. Before I knew it, I was in the hospital having the most horrible tests. There's one where they put you in a tube that makes an outrageous racket. Bang, bang, bang. I thought I'd lose my mind. Anyway, long story short, I have tumors everywhere. Bones, brain, liver, you name it. They want me to go to a hospice to die. She said hospice in a tone of deep disgust. She was a terrible snob. I'm so sorry, Bree, I said. I was. Bree and I weren't close, but since my father died a few years ago, we had maintained a relationship that consisted of sporadic phone calls and occasional meals together. I resented and liked her. She seemed to feel the same about me. It was an uneasy combination, but we managed to get along. Thank you for saying so, she said. I'm sorry, too. 59 is far too young to shuffle off this mortal coil. But there it is. Nothing to do about it. Have you told Charlotte, I said. Charlotte was my stepsister, Bree's only child. I would if I could get a hold of her, but I can't. Her number is disconnected. I'll hear from her when she wants money. She'd bankrupt me if she could. The only thing is I might be dead before then. Bree was allowed to say shitty things about Charlotte, but she wouldn't turn on me like a viper if I so much nodded in an agreement. Charlotte was a junkie. The single thing we had in common was we were the same age, 32. The last time I heard, she lived on Delancey Street with a fellow junkie named Monty, but I'd never known her to stay anywhere for more than a few months before getting into some drama, personal or financial, that necessitated seeking out new fellow junkies and some other ratty place to live. I could try to find her if you'd like, I said, before I knew it. I didn't know how I would do that. I haven't seen her in a year. Imagine, I imagined hiring a private detective like a character in the movies. It would be awfully nice if you did. Why don't you come over for a drink tonight? Are you free? Sure, yes, I said. I was free practically all the time since my husband left me six weeks earlier. Concurrently, I had been laid off on my job as an arborist at the Central Park Conservancy. So I was at liberty both night and day, buoyed by unemployment checks and a tiny inheritance from my father. New York City had always been my home, but it had been limited. there were a limited amount of trees. I knew I would have to leave it sooner or later if I wanted to find a job in my field. Don't bring Brad, Bree said. I want it to be just us. Okay. I hadn't told her about Brad's defection. I doubted I would. I was embarrassed because he'd left me for our downstairs neighbor, another reason I needed to move. Can I bring a bottle of wine, some cheese and crackers? No, nothing. But I don't want you to go in any trouble. Don't be silly, she said. I'm not in the least infirm. You'd never know I'm at that store if I hadn't told you. <laughs> That's I really enjoy your writing. I've enjoyed it in every story. Oh, Let me end with, with a reference to one other story. Uh, and that's next of kin, okay? And mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to kind of explain it a little bit. But this this one struck me as a good example of how in life unexpected things come up and change the change our trajectory. So in mm-hmm. in this story, um, the mother. Well, tell us a little bit about this story. Okay, this story is about um, uh, the main character gets a call, and uh, her mother's her deceased mother's boyfriend has died suddenly and has put her down on his records as next of kin. So the policeman calls her, the hospital expects her to come and get him, and uh, she wants to have nothing to do with it. But she goes to his apartment to find something, you know, the name of a lawyer or something, and um, she and her friend, who she wishes was her boyfriend, 
have kind of a good time in the apartment. They have dinner, they hang around, they look at his books. Um, and they, and she finds out in, in the uh, process of that, that in fact, her friend wishing to be a boyfriend is gay mm-hmm. and will never be her boyfriend. Yeah. And, and, and what I, I love the way it ends, too. You know, it's almost like a circular mm-hmm. from what from the unexpected she got uh, to the unexpected, which she does, which ha- has something to do with the guy being gay, but not completely. All right. Mm-hmm. Let me end with this question, if I can. So some writers will tell me that they honestly that they write for themselves. Others will say to me, you know, look, Mike, I write to make a political point or a social point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, still some will say, hey, I do it for the money. What, what <laughs> motivates you to write? Uh, just, I would say the, the first, I do it for me because I, I'm just compelled to do it. And it's, it's, some writers say, oh, writing is so difficult. I can barely make myself sit down. I have no problem with that. I'm just dying to sit down and write. So I'm a very happy writer. And it's just a pleasure. I certainly wouldn't do it for the money because there's absolutely no money in short stories. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do it for me, and I'm very happy to do it. What do you, well, what do you learn from writing for yourself? What do you learn for, about yourself when you write? I, you know, over the years, I've learned about myself the uh, just the ability to really have incredible tenacity about my writing and about getting my writing published. I am much more tenacious than I had ever thought. And uh, that's a great thing to know um, about myself, to feel that kind of strength of purpose. And, you know, when, you, really when, when you're creating characters and writing characters and putting yourself in there, I'm guessing that there's a little bit of self-reflection that goes on in that process. Oh, sure. Okay. And, and in this uh, book in particular, there's a lot of um, semi-autobiographical material mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Um, you've been listening to the Writer's Forum, and I've been speaking with author Louise Marburg about her short story collection, You Have Reached Your Destination. I encourage you to pick it up. Louise, is there a website or other social media spot where folks can go to learn more about the book? Or about your other writings? Um, sure. Uh, there's my well, my website, louisemarburg.com. I'm on Facebook as Louise Marburg and on Instagram as Louise Marburg. I guess there aren't too many people with my name. And, uh, yeah, you can find me there. Okay. And just for, for our folks, Marburg is spelled M-A-R-B-U-R-G. B-U-R-G. Yeah. Louise, yeah. thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Mike. It's been really fun. <laughs>